Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Rugeley in the West Midlands in the mid-1800s, was a quiet and unassuming town. It was a friendly place where everyone knew each other and the kind of town where no one expected a string of murders to take place, seemingly right under their noses, with no one realising. The residents of the town were like people in any small village and they gravitated towards the heart of the place. No, not the church, the pub. One evening, when people were having a quiet pint, an almighty ruckus erupted when a man jumped up from his seat, clutching at his throat and screaming in pain and terror that he'd been poisoned. Just a few days later, the man in question would be dead. Today on Macabre Mini Mysteries, we uncover the tale of the Rugeley Poisoner. and welcome back to another episode of Macabre Mini Mysteries. I'm Nikki Druce, your host with a silent G, and today I'll be taking you on a journey into another macabre tale from around the world. In fact, only about three hours from London, and we're headed to the quiet and unassuming town of Rugeley in the West Midlands. However, before we get into today's story, if you're new here and you want to enjoy more episodes where we deep dive into some lesser-known gruesome tales from history's past, then please make sure you subscribe so you never miss a new episode. The busy bustling market town of Rugeley was considered one of the finest places to live back in the mid-1800s. It was far enough outside of London to be away from the poverty of the capital city and comfortably rural enough to be serviced by those passing through to other areas of the country, providing a big town feel but in a nicer area of the country. The people that lived in the town had a variety of jobs but everything was kept fairly close to home with many people staying in or around their place of birth for their whole lives. 
For one young man, he decided he would quite like to spend his time in Rugeley, but he had his sights set on becoming a doctor, and for that he would need to leave the town in order to qualify. William Palmer was born to parents Sarah and Joseph on the 6th of August 1824 in Rugeley. He was the sixth of eight children. His childhood was fairly unremarkable, but his father, who was a woodcutter, passed away when he was 12 years old, leaving his mother to care for their large family alone. William was intrigued by the fact that his mother was given a payout when his father died of £70,000, and this was more than enough to boost the family into a state of wealth they'd not been privy to before. This allowed William to pursue his dream of becoming a doctor, and to begin with, his mother secured him an apprenticeship in Liverpool in a chemist's. However, William started his criminal career almost immediately. By the age of 17, he'd been caught embezzling money. He was caught stealing from the payment envelopes customers would send through the post, and as such, he had to lay low for a while. His mother was informed of his wrongdoings, and she agreed she would pay back the money in full to avoid William being arrested. Now having to come home and try again, William started his training locally in Staffordshire, He had various small medical roles across the district, but his first big learning curve was at the Stafford Infirmary. It was here it was said he became interested in poisons in particular, and after a patient died under seemingly mysterious circumstances whilst under his care, William was given his marching orders, despite claiming he had nothing to do with the man's death. And along with a lack of evidence, it was easier for everyone involved if it was just swept under the rug. Now cast out of the Staffordshire medical scene, William still set his sights on fully qualifying as a doctor, so he travelled to London with his goal in mind. However, it didn't take long before William found himself in trouble yet again. A few years later, and now having a small amount of medical knowledge, he set up a backstreet abortion clinic, but it was soon found out and he got in trouble as a result. He was also far too interested in extracurricular activities rather than studying, and when his mother received a letter from his tutor saying William was in danger of failing his studies, she paid another doctor to make sure he was kept in check. And somehow, and despite his early run-ins with the law, William managed to fully qualify as a doctor, and graduated from the esteemed St Bartholomew's in 1846. And I bet William wished during this time he had something to help him study and focus to pass his exams. I'd just like to take a moment to tell you about something which has been helping me with my writing and my overall focus recently. And that's the marvellous magical brain fuel, which is Magic Mind. Now, I used to drink a lot of coffee to help me write my episode. But since I've been introduced to Magic Mind, I've massively cut down on caffeine. And I've actually been relying more on this to help me create the show. I'm not sold on the effects of coffee as it actually makes me a little bit jittery and makes my focus honestly pretty bad, which is no good for writing as I can't get into the flow state I need. But after drinking a shot of Magic Mind in the morning, I can honestly say it makes the world of difference. I can get things done in a fraction of the time they would take me before as I simply just get on with it now instead of faffing around and I 100% attribute it to these marvellous little green shots. After just a few days of drinking Magic Mind in the morning, I saw a huge improvement in my ability to focus and more importantly, stay focused. 
For this episode in particular, I had to rake over a lot of old articles and decipher Doctor's handwriting, which I know it's a trope, but it's genuinely true. Doctors have notoriously bad handwriting. And so it really was a tough episode to write, and Magic Mind helped me breeze through it without a second thought. When I've had a shot of Magic Mind in the morning about an hour before I start my script writing, I really find it helps me to just breeze through the boring bits and to retain the info I need to create my episodes, which caffeine was definitely causing me to have issues with as I would find myself getting distracted regularly. The little shots, which are so incredibly cute and dinky, have a balance of nootropics and adaptogens inside, including lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms, which are proven to help with clarity and focus, along with a nice helping of green tea. What I do with my magic mind is mix it into a latte with a little bit of agave for extra sweetness. And I've also just been experimenting with putting it in some lemonade as well. And it really makes for a nice zesty beverage in the morning. And it really gets my day going off to a good start. Also, the shots are so small that you can pop them in your bag and take them with you if you don't have time to make a drink in the morning. I would never recommend anything that I don't actually like myself. So you're safe in the knowledge that this is an excellent way to start your mornings. And I honestly feel this has really helped me to be able to concentrate better for longer and to contribute to bringing you the episode you're currently enjoying. So if you have a deadline, a high pressure job which needs your undivided attention, then get involved. And I have a nice tasty discount for you too. If you're interested in trying Magic Mind for yourself, then you can get a whopping 40% off a subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase by visiting the Magic Mind website at www.magicmind.co forward slash macabre and using my offer code macabre 20 The 40% off code is only valid for 10 days, so if you want to get that 40% off and to try it for yourself to start on your better focus journey, you'll have to be quick. That's www.magicmind.co forward slash M-A-C-A-B-R-E and use my offer code M-A-C-A-B-R-E 2-0. I've also put an easy clickable link in the show notes so you can check them out if you'd like to. And why not? What have you got to lose? They're really good. Thanks for listening and back to the episode. In order to escape the notoriety he'd accrued in London... William headed back towards Rugeley to the town of Little Hayward, just three and a half miles outside of Rugeley. A year later, William married Anne Thornton, an illegitimate child of a colonel father and his much younger housemaid. Anne's parents had a turbulent relationship, but luckily her father was very well off, and when he completed suicide in 1834 after a particularly vicious row with Anne's mother, he bequeathed nine properties to Anne, along with a considerable amount of inheritance. In his will, he also stated that the properties he had left to Anne's mother, Mary, should also be bequeathed to her upon her death. William first met Anne, who was three years his junior, when he was a trainee doctor, and he went to her school to treat a few of her fellow students. It's here the two began their courtship, which would span a number of years, and over the whole time William was studying in London. It was from London, he wrote her the following letter. My dearest Annie, I snatch a moment from my studies to write to your dear, dear little self. I scarcely need say that the principal inducement I have to work is my desire of getting my studies finished so as to be able to press your dear little form in my arms. With best, best love, believe me, dearest Annie, your own NBSP, William. I don't know what MBSP stands for in this context, so if you have any guesses, let me know. By this time, William was well aware that Anne was very wealthy, so he decided to marry her. 
Had he been a rational and reasonable man, he would have resigned himself to being a well-kept husband. But William had an addiction. He loved gambling and drinking, and was also fond of women. All of which didn't make him an ideal house husband. William set up his own doctor's practice in the high street. The humble but roomy cottage housed him and Anne and had room spare for children. The pair got to work and Anne had five children over the course of the next few years. But sadly, all but one of them, their firstborn William Jr., died within a few days to a few months of being born. By this time, William had been practising medicine in his home surgery, but he was also gambling a lot of the time. He became obsessed with horse racing and decided to buy a few horses. He loved betting on the nags, but as with all gamblers, his winning streak could only last for so long, and in order to keep betting, he had to make more money. To buy his horses, he'd used up a lot of the family's savings, and in particular Anne's money from her father's suicide. William had to come up with a plan to raise more funds, and it was at this time he had an idea which, if exacted right, would get him all the money he wanted. William remembered that in her father's will, he had stated that should her mother die, Anne would inherit her properties. So with the sound of an imminent windfall ringing in his ears, William got to work. Mary was an alcoholic, and she'd been trying to stay in her old and dilapidated cottage, which desperately needed repairs. And for a short while, Anne and William footed the bill. Mary was also very fond of cats, and had quite a lot of them at her home. But one by one, they kept disappearing, and she blamed William, saying she thought he'd poisoned them. Only a few days after Anne's mother Mary had set foot into Palmer's home, her illness deteriorated, and she became gravely ill and passed away a few days later. With Mary dead... William was pressuring his grieving wife to find out about the inheritance she was set to receive. Despite her father's will stating that Anne should inherit the properties, the court ruled that the buildings should be given to Anne's brother, Mr Shawcross, and she would receive a lump sum instead. This left William incensed, as he had been paying for repairs and upkeep on a number of the properties, thinking they would soon be his. When he confronted Mr Shawcross about this, He refused to pay him back the money. By this time, William was getting heavily into debt with his gambling. He now owned stables and had racked up a significant debt to many people involved in the horse racing scene. One man, a debt collector whom William owed money to, went to the races to find him in order to recoup his debts. But William said he didn't have the money to pay him there and that he should visit him in Rugeley a few days later and he would pay him back in full. The debtor, Leonard Bladen, told his wife he'd be gone for a few days, but should be returning not long after with the £1,000 Palmer owed him. A few days later, Leonard was dead. A few days earlier, he'd had an accident where he was run over by a horse and cart, and instead of resting as he'd been told to do, he carried on about his business, but rather suspiciously, he passed away in Rugeley, and the name on the death certificate, William Palmer. As time went on in Rugeley, it seemed that everywhere William went, people were dropping like flies. Now, back in a time when the mortality rate was fairly high, it was quite easy to equate these deaths with general poor health. And so, it's hard to say if William was responsible, or if it was just a coincidence. 
that either death was following William around like a black cloud, or he may have just been the one responsible. Over the period of a few years, people who had a connection to William often met their maker. William's uncle, Joseph Bentley, who himself was not a nice man, also passed away suddenly after contact with William. Joseph was an abuser whose wife died from a broken neck after a fall, which everyone attributed to Joseph pushing her down the stairs. He was also said to have had a child by his own daughter. One night William visited his uncle and they drank brandy together. By the end of the evening, Joseph had collapsed, allegedly from the drink, but a few days later, he died from what was marked as stomach disease on his death certificate, again by William. So far, these deaths were all going under the radar, and if William was behind them, he was doing a good job of covering them up. However, William became more brazen. In April of 1854, William took out a life insurance policy on his wife Anne to the tune of £13,000 if she were to die. We all know where this is going next, but surprise, surprise, Anne died just after one payment had been made on that life insurance policy. Anne had been to Liverpool to the theatre with her sister, and it's there she caught a cold. William cared for his wife, but she began vomiting overnight, and her condition deteriorated over the course of a few days, and she passed away at 27 years old from a cold. It's thought in reality that Anne had contracted cholera, and she passed away as a result of it, but no one else in the house caught the disease, and so it sounds quite suspicious that this was the case. After Anne's death, William collected the insurance payout and continued to fritter the money away on his beloved horses. During this time, not content with the money he'd just inherited from Anne's death, he also went to his elderly mother to try and extract some money from her. But by this time, she had used most of her finances on bailing William out from his earlier days of stealing and also getting him through college. So instead, he decided he would forge her signature as a guarantor on loan applications so he could get more money for his gambling habit. Spiralling deeper into debt and having learned that he could be paid handsomely from life insurance policies, William began to think about who might be the next person he knew who was close to shuffling off this mortal coil. He had an idea. His brother. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In a macabre gambling bet, William approached his alcoholic brother, Walter, and asked him what the odds were like for him surviving the next 10 years. 
William said he'd pay Walter £400 instantly if he would allow him to take out life insurance against him, and Walter, who was a divorced, bankrupt man, couldn't turn down the offer, so he accepted. William then insured Walter with not just one insurance company, but took out six separate policies against his brother, which in the event of his death would earn him a whopping £82,000. Now, again, we know the outcome here, but needless to say, Walter only lasted a month. And again, William had gotten away with just paying one month's bills on the accounts. Walter died from apparently succumbing to his alcohol addiction, and William was sure to note down in his diary that he'd visited his brother a few days prior to his death and had recorded that he was very ill indeed. Rubbing his hands together, William went to the insurance companies to collect his windfall payouts, but as one of the companies was one he'd used to insure Anne, they became highly suspicious of the activity and sent someone out to investigate. In the meantime, another mysterious death was about to occur, this time of a baby boy. Eliza Tharm was a housekeeper in the village, and the home she looked after, William's Cottage. Just after Anne had died, 18-year-old Eliza had become pregnant, and all fingers pointed towards William as being the father. As baby Alfred was born nine months almost to the day that Anne died, William didn't even wait until Anne was in the ground before he moved on. Baby Alfred was sent away to be cared for by a nurse outside of Rugeley. As we can only imagine, William was embarrassed by his mistake and wanted Eliza to get back to her role as his housekeeper. A few months later, William sent a request to his nurse that he be sent to his practice in Rugeley so that he could make sure the boy was well, and not long after, the baby suffered convulsions and died. Interestingly, the boy was given the diagnosis of erysipelas, a bacterial skin infection, as his cause of death, which would have caused many of the same symptoms of strychnine poisoning. A short while before baby Alfred died, William flew too close to the sun, seemingly carrying out a murder in plain sight. One evening, William had returned from the races with a friend of his, John Parsons Cook, and Palmer suggested the two go and get a drink and a bite to eat at the local pub. The pub called the Talbot Arms, which has now been renamed The Shrew, was directly opposite Palmer's house and a regular haunt of his, and he would often go there after race days. However, this day was different. William handed John a drink, and as soon as he took a sip, he stood up screaming in agony and saying his throat was burning and that he'd been poisoned. William picks up the glass himself and takes a drink. He then hands the glass to another patron of the pub, but it happens to be empty. A short while before John took a drink, the barmaid said she'd seen Palmer with a small bottle of clear liquid in his hand, but she never saw him pour any into the glass. William helps John home to his house, which was just by his, and over the next few days he cares for him, doing his doctorly duty. Strangely enough, every time Palmer goes to see John, he seems to get worse and worse. Another friend of John's hears he's not well, and so they go to comfort him in his time of need. But they're saddened to find that John is knocking at death's door, and it doesn't seem like he has much longer left. At this point, it's around 3am, and the friend rushes to William's practice across the road and prepares to wake him up. However, when the doctor answers, he's fully dressed, as if he was awaiting the call. 
Now given, John was not the most well man, he was battling a case of syphilis, which caused him to have sores all over his body, some of which happened to be in his throat, and when he took a sip of alcohol, it may have been this which caused irritation and the burning sensation to occur. However, rather suspiciously, William owed money to John, and that day his friend had won about £3,000 at the nags. John also had money before he started hanging around with William. The pair had met at the pub, and Palmer had convinced him to go to the races with him, where he slowly frittered away his inheritance, which was a substantial £12,000. William was also quite taken with John's wife, and it's believed he wanted to take her for himself, but given that she also probably had syphilis, I don't think that was William's smartest idea. The next few days were no cakewalk for John. His body suffered convulsions and extreme muscle spasms which left his body contorted and him screaming in agony. William would have everyone believe it was as a result of his syphilis which was destroying his body. A few days later, 28-year-old John passed away at home on the 21st of November 1855 and was buried in the churchyard at St Augustine's. In a strange twist of fate, William's childhood home overlooked the spot where he would spend the rest of eternity. Before John was buried, Palmer was sure to be at the post-mortem, and it was here it's believed he tampered with the body and the results of the toxicology which was carried out. William's name was on the post-mortem report, and finding this suspicious as he was also his physician, another doctor asked for a second opinion, and asked for materials from John's body to be sent to the esteemed London physician, Alfred Swain Taylor. After John's death, someone finally spoke up about the strange coincidences surrounding William and his tendency toward killing rather than curing throughout Rugeley, and this made him understandably start sweating. Palmer was uncovered as trying to interfere with the second opinion, and also trying to bribe the postmaster into delivering the results of which to him instead of its intended recipient. All of this set alarm bells ringing with those involved, and the police were given a tip-off. However, unbeknownst to William, Swain Taylor actually hadn't found any traces of strychnine in John's system, and his report said as much, which would have pointed to him being an innocent man. But if he was, why was he nervous about the result? Around the same time, John Parsons Cook's father went to the authorities saying he suspected his son was subject of foul play, but due to the post-mortem saying John had died of syphilis, they didn't believe he had a leg to stand on, so instead he took his story to the papers, belittling the police in the process. Pair this with the false claims William had made to the insurance companies a few months earlier, the walls were beginning to close in on him, and it wasn't long before he found himself in trouble with the law. Once the pieces of the poisonous puzzle were put together, it didn't take long for people to realise that Palmer may not have seemed the caring physician they knew and may have just been responsible for multiple deaths in the town. Getting wind that the jig might be up, William tried to make a bid for freedom, but didn't get very far, and returned back to Rugeley, where he was arrested by police. Now being held in prison, awaiting trial, the papers went to town on the doctor. Even before he went to trial, the papers had pretty much decided he was guilty, with some running pages in the double figures about the man himself, and tracing his victims and their backstories, condemning him before he'd had the chance to have a fair trial. When police began to investigate the case, 
they had to determine if Palmer had indeed used poison to murder his victims, and for this, there would need to be some exhumations of his alleged victims. Brother Walter and wife Anne were the ones requested to be dug back up, as these pertained to the fraud that was being investigated by the insurance companies, and so both bodies were taken out of the ground and examined in the local pubs, as let us not forget all important business in the Victorian times was carried out in pubs. Anne was found to have some common medicines in her body, some of which may have led to her death, but ultimately the findings were inconclusive. Walter was also exhumed, but his body was so decomposed that in the process of drilling a hole in the coffin, the smell which emanated from it permeated the building's walls and floors, leaving the Republican owner with a stench that could never be entirely removed, and which he said caused so much of an effect on his business that the pub eventually had to close. It's since been demolished, so we have to assume that the smell never left. There were also further investigations into John Parsons Cook and his death in which the theory was put forward that he had contracted tetanus as a result of the open sores on his body, which happens to cause the same type of muscle spasms which he endured, but so does strychnine. John's body wasn't one of the ones which was exhumed, and the evidence which led to his death was still inconclusive. At this time, support for William was coming in in droves from those in the town. Despite those who had died at the hands of his care, there were many others that sang his praises as a reputable and trustworthy doctor. It seemed the country was divided with the press in London saying that he was most definitely guilty, and those in the West Midlands saying the man wasn't capable of such crimes. The case truly was a cause celebre, and it split the nation as it was obvious to authorities that William could not be convicted if he was tried in Rugeley, as he had many supporters that would interfere with the course of justice, an Act of Parliament was passed to allow Palmer to be tried in London at the Old Bailey. And with that, prisoner Palmer was transferred to London, and so began one of the biggest murder trials in the whole of British history. As it turns out, Alfred Swain Taylor was called in to test Anne's tissues after her exhumation, and he did find something which led the jury to believe Palmer was guilty. A substance called antimony, a poison which was much like arsenic and when delivered over a long time caused a toxic buildup, leading to the consumer's death. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. F. Pair this with other circumstantial evidence, such as William being seen purchasing strychnine by someone in the village, John saying Palmer had murdered him on his deathbed to a friend, and two chemists admitting they'd sold strychnine to Palmer after he told them he wanted to kill a dog, but failing to record it in their ledgers, leaving the jury to believe they were bribed by Dr. Death. It's unsurprising that the jury only deliberated after the 12-day murder trial for just an hour before they came back with a guilty verdict. 
No one knows what the exact death toll was meant to be, but it's generally believed that at a minimum, William killed 14 people. William Palmer was sentenced to death and sent to Newgate Jail before being transferred back to Staffordshire Prison, where he was hanged on the 14th of June, 1856. William's transfer to Staffordshire Prison garnered such an interest from the general public that a decoy van had to be released from the prison so that the prisoner could be safely transferred to a train at Euston Station. Over 30,000 people went to Staffordshire Jail to wait outside until they saw the black flag be raised after William's execution. At both his trial and execution, William seemed resigned to the fact that he would be found guilty and was calm at the gallows, knowing his fate was sealed. Even after the verdict was read out, William said he knew he would be a murdered man from day one, as the papers had already decided his fate on his behalf. However, despite it looking like William was a solidly guilty man, his trial was a huge learning curve for the British justice system, as despite an overwhelming lack of physical evidence to prove he'd carried out any crimes other than perhaps Anne's murder, he was still sentenced to death on basically a few people's witness statements. The jury had been drip-fed that Palmer was guilty from the get-go, and this meant that even subconsciously, by the time William went to trial, he was never set to receive a fair one. Back when there was no right to appeal or no contempt of court, whatever the outcome, William was always going to be found guilty. That's not to say that I don't think he did it, because I most definitely think he did, but have I just been influenced by the info that's out there and not the factual physical evidence, which paints a different picture entirely? Either way, we'll never have a definitive answer, and the case of the Rougely Poisoner will forever remain a macabre mini-mystery. joining me for this episode as always i'd love to know your thoughts on this one this is such an enormous case that there is way more to it than i could fit in this episode otherwise we would have been here for days so if you want to know more please check out my sources in the description below if you like this episode please give it a thumbs up on youtube or a rating on your podcast provider and if you're new around here and you've not yet subscribed i'd love for you to join the ghoul gang so please do we're a friendly bunch so do come and join us Also, if you do like the show and you'd like to see more of them and support what I make, then why not consider becoming a patron like these amazing, legendary, executive Patreon producers Amy, Barry, Christina, Jess, Kate, Kevin, Mary, Sam, Sarah and Veronica. And to all of our other patrons too, you're amazing. Patrons get an exclusive show from me once a month. You get to vote on what episodes I do next and also depending on the tier, you'll get some tangible goodies through the post. And also there's some little secrets on there at the moment, so you should definitely go and check it out. If you're not up for a long-term commitment and you just like to leave a tip, then there's my Amazon wishlist, which has items which help me to make the show, and there's also one-off donation links in the description, or you can use the ACAST supporter link at the beginning of the podcast. All support is entirely essential for me to be able to continue making this show, so if you want to see more of them and to keep it going, then please consider donating. It would be really, really helpful. As you know, I'm making a little mini-series at the moment, so any help is gratefully received. I know things are tough for everybody at the moment, so please, only if you have spare pennies. But if you do, and you're interested in supporting this channel and this show, then I would really, really appreciate it. 
Also, thanks very much for listening all the way to the end of the episode. I've got a sneaky little reward for you now. I will soon be revealing a very big secret, so if you want to find out what that is, then make sure that you're following me on my social media. I'm not going to say any more about it now, but just check me out on TikTok, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that fun stuff. And you might find out something fun. Oh, and don't forget to check out Magic Mind as well. The link to that bargain deal is in the description. And thanks if you do, it really does help me out. Thanks for joining me for another macabre mini mystery. I've been Nikki Drews, and I'll see you ghouls next time. I got nails. I got nails back. She's had a glow up. She's got her hair done and she's got her nails did. <laughs> <laughs>